They've got the building. They have already killed one hostage. They've got the odds. They've got his wife. No, no! Now, he's got one night to get it all back. You really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? yippee Bruce Willis in 40 Stories of Sheer Adventure. Die Hard, Rated R. Now playing in selected cities. Starts Wednesday, July 20th at theaters everywhere. Kaye, motherfuckers, and welcome to Cinemarcade. This is the straight for the ass. Oh, you know why was, not? Why not? In my head, I was like, I'm I on the way out. That's how I'm gonna end it. And then oh. you started it that way. Why not start off with an explosive bang? All right, because this is Cinemarcade. We're the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly or the f bombs that fly when those worlds collide. Uh, my name is Steve Guntley, and we are doing a month long. Holiday extravaganza, uh, a, a, a winter wonderland, if you will, where we're talking only about Christmassy movies and the games based on them. And of course, we've arrived at the most Christmassy movie of all, the one about a little boy who believed that he could and accomplished a lot. Uh, that's right. We're talking about Die Hard today. And who is joining me in the air vents today to talk about this little uh, classic? Uh, the uh, Roy Rogers cowboy, uh, J-Ban. <laughs> and who else is here? I'm a New York cop. Just the, that was not the right accent, but I'm a New York cop. None of this you is are going, going the right direction. You are going straight. I'm Justin. You are Cajun I'm right now. Yeah, I'm no. a New York cop. I do declare. <laughs> I got to solve all these crimes here on the bayou of Long Island. <laughs> None of my my family's from Louisiana, but goddamn. <laughs> That was getting real, real down there. Apparently, that's where you go. Yeah, John McClane has just a bunch of extra like zeros and O's. What are you doing? You got a stain on my shirt. I put the shirt on an hour it's ago. It's the curse of Die Hard. Did you see the evolution of that shirt? Oh my God, that poor shirt. That shirt broke down over the course of his little Christmas adventure. Uh, that's right. Yeah, we are. I'm. I'm gonna make a hard stance and say yes. This is a Christmas movie, mostly because, as I hinted last week. I find that whole argument incredibly tedious. A Christmas movie is a Christmas movie if it's part of your Christmas tradition. If this is part of your tradition, go nuts. Uh, this does absolutely take place at Christmas. That was built into the script. It's built into the story. And if you listen to the score of this movie, they work a lot of Christmas carols into kind of the action-y motif. So, you know, let's just put it to bed. Call it a Christmas movie. Go nuts. Go nuts. Have fun I with concur. it. I concur. Thank you, Professor. I appreciate that. I think the one thing everybody can agree on, though, is that this is an absolutely seminal action movie. One of the one of the defining movies of the 1980s, and I still think one of the best uh, action thrillers ever. Classic made. eight, perhaps perfect, pretty really structured CM movie. Close. As somebody who wasn't alive during this time period, was this the movie that popularized the uh, crawling through the vents trope? Maybe a little bit. Was this, was a this a thing bit. before that? I was trying to think about that. Yeah, uh, it it might be. I mean, I guess we can point to Alien. A couple or Alien yeah. and Aliens were came yeah. up before this, yeah, I guess but so. uh, 
This one definitely uh, perfected the crawling through events trope, you know, I would say. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about this movie. It's called Die Hard. It was released July 15th, 1988. It was directed by John McTiernan and written by Stephen E. D'Souza. It, 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 it was a summer movie? It was a summer movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, Reginald Vell Johnson, William Atherton, Alexander Gudinov, Hart Bachner, Devereaux White, Clarence Gilliard Jr., Robert Davi, Grandel Bush, and Paul Gleason. So right off the bat, a lot of characters in this movie. Yeah, uh, a lot that's of characters. kind of the one thing that people, if you want to find a flaw with Die Hard, people tend to throw out too many supporting characters. Uh, Some of them no, are kind not, of wacky. No, no, I th- the supporting characters make the movie. They, just, I, I'm with they're you. They're so Absolutely. good. I this movie. I love all of the characters. I love so many incredible quotes. So much good stuff comes from all over. It's yeah. so great. Do either of you have any idea who was originally approached to star in this movie? Ooh. The first choice, the person they were coming for. Robert Redford? <laughs> no, that's a good safe bet. But I feel like... Feel like at one point I knew this, and I feel like it's there, but it's just out of my reach. This was designed to be a vehicle for seventy-two-year-old Frank Sinatra. Oh, okay, no. because <laughs> no, no, yes. no, I don't know. Yes, it yeah, was. It was definitely not right. Uh, because this is uh, actually based on a novel. It's based on a novel called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, and Roderick Thorpe wrote a series of these kind of hard-boiled detective novels. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, one of which was called The Detective that was adapted into a 1966 film starring Frank Sinatra. Um, the, character, the character in the books, his name is Joe Leland, and he's meant to be a little older, a little more cynical, a little more nihilistic uh, and misogynist, frankly. Um, but yeah, so Frank Sinatra played that role in 1966, and when originally they were pitching the script, they were thinking of this maybe as kind of like a legacy sequel, you know, like... Like, let's bring him back after 20 years and see what he's been up to. He's, you know, uh, something of a victory lap for a very aging Sinatra as well. But he uh, thankfully was not interested in it. So, um, you know, they went to a lot of other different people. They had this pitch initially as Rambo in an office building. That was kind of the thing that they sold this script off of. And so, of course, they're going to talk to Sylvester Stallone. They talked to Schwarzenegger. They talked to Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Mel Gibson. All of these guys were approached. But I think one of the things that makes this movie brilliant and enduring is their casting choices and the way that they went so against the grain Mm -hmm. with what everybody was doing. Bruce Willis, at this time, was primarily known as a comedic actor. Okay, He was a sitcom star. He was on uh, Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard, which is now also all on Hulu. Uh, So if you've never seen... Have you seen Moonlighting? I actually... So I watched... um, uh, I was trying to watch the first episode of Moonlighting, which is like an hour and a half long. Yeah. And it's really misogynistic. It can be... Um, It's a little bit of a battle of the sexes thing, which is not It is a battle of the sexes thing. But the chemistry is undeniable. Absolutely. That's one of those, if you want to point as like an example of what good on-screen chemistry looks like. You get those two uh, in that show. So Bruce Willis had really only done one significant movie before this. It was a uh, minor hit romantic comedy called Mystery Date, or uh, I'm sorry, Blind Date. Mystery Date was another movie from around the same time. Um, but, you know, either way, this casting was not super obvious. Right now, in the 80s, the trend with action movies is bigger, bigger, bigger. You need to have the biggest muscles. You need to have the biggest guns. You need to be the most unkillable pun delivery system known to man. 
And Bruce Willis was not that. He's he's got a very average kind of style, you know. He's like a, a handsome man, but like kind of a balding middle aged guy with a little bit of a paunch, you know. And uh, he, he's kind of a different style than what they were going for. And the characterization here is also very vulnerable, very fallible. Like, he is not this invincible Superman. He gets the shit beat out of him yeah. by the end of this movie. Yes. Like, he's able to pull all this stuff off because he is tough and he has a sh- strong force of will. But he, he cries in this movie. Like, he, he has marital problems. Like, this is not like an Arnold Schwarzenegger caricature of a of an action hero he lets people live who he later kills absolutely i I think one solid moment that really kind of sets the tone for what you're going to get out of him is when he first meets up with holly at her workplace in the office and uh he kind of like starts a bit of an argument that ends up getting cut short and she has to go yeah and then he just goes over to the bathroom and's like you idiot. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, like, he knows he's messing yeah. up as, like, as, as soon as he's Because she was done it. offering a, an, an olive branch of mm-hmm. peace, uh, saying, saying, I missed you. And then he just, he couldn't, he just couldn't let the Gennaro thing go. Yeah. No. He, and then, yeah, he, he knows who he is and he's not trying to be the action star. He just happens to be in an action movie. And it's an, it's an interesting dynamic, too, because all this macho cop shit that makes him so good at his job makes him a terrible husband. Yeah. And this movie, like, addresses that and just yeah. like, okay, what would it be like to be married to a guy like this? And uh, it would be terrible, you know? And then the same goes with the casting of the villain here, all right? So they talk to all the major guys. They talk to Christopher Walken. They talk to all the different guys who usually play heavies in movies around this time. And none of them were quite right. And instead... They went with a 40-year-old British stage actor who had never done a movie. This is Alan Rickman's very first movie. In fact, he only started acting when he was like 33, something like that. He was a graphic designer for most of his life and then discovered he had this passion for it. Became this big hit on the West End in London, started doing some stuff on Broadway over here. And then he gets this call out of nowhere after the producer sees him perform in Dangerous Liaisons. And it's just like, yeah, this is my guy. And this is one of the most iconic film villains of all time. Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. So, so good. I mean, the the gentleman thief thing is always (laughs) like such a cool villain trope for me, like where he's very smart and urbane, but like willing to absolutely kill innocent people. But in this one, he's a brutal gentleman, gentleman thief. And like his brutality is unmatched and like, like in the realm of gentleman thieves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He's like also... And just entering that kind of Silver Fox era, too. Yeah. Like, all right. Okay. He's got a little gravitas. Yeah, like, like, it, like yeah. a little bit of graying in the hair. Like, the oh, again, a great choice. Just, I, I love him so much in this. There, there was apparently a scene in this movie where the director wanted him to throw Bonnie Bedelia's character down on the ground. And he refused to do it because he's just like, this is not something my character would do. Like, mm-hmm. he is... He is a thief. He can be a monster, but he also respects her and mm-hmm. her respects her intelligence and wouldn't wouldn't lower himself to like abuse a woman like that, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. it, so it's that's an interesting choice, you know. And I mean, they they do this all over the place, you know. Like the the character of uh, uh, Al, the sergeant down on the ground, is played by Reginald Vell Johnson. They talked to a lot of bigger stars to do this part. But instead, they went with just the right guy. Yeah. He wasn't well known at the time. Family Matters was still a few years off. 
Uh, so he wasn't that well known. He was just the right guy. He had the right vibe. He's so pleasant and like, but still forceful and kind of commanding and and snarky. Snarky. Yes. It helps that his captain is the dumbest son of a bitch. <laughs> like that. He's the one though. The one character that like I would argue maybe is a little flaw in this movie. The the captain character is too dumb. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. he, he doesn't like say duh, he duh, and fall does over, work but... for the LAPD, though. He does. Uh, they're, they're saying something, so, I think, he here. Does, it, it almost seems like he's playing the politician angle more than the, the cop angle. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, um, completely. He's look, caring more about the way this looks than the way this goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so many of the characters have like imperfections like al is struggling a little bit too like he's on desk duty because he accidentally shot a kid i believe he did yeah um because he thought the kid had a gun i think that was the scenario that was it yeah yeah Uh, that situation and so he's still getting he's still dealing with that he hasn't Mm -hmm. even like used his gun for, for anything practice nothing he hasn't touched it there there has been a lot written about this movie's themes of like uh retribution through violence or yeah. like cleansing yourself through violence cuz in both him and John's case like they they are able yeah. to make themselves better men, braver men, stronger men through acts of extreme violence. Mm-hmm. Like they're also acts of service in a way, but they yeah. are, you know, murdering people. It is. It's a very '80s macho uh, motif on that one. It is, but it's still not as pronounced as something like uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando mm-hmm. or Rambo or things like that. Like where it's it's comically like celebrating in this gore and carnage. Like the gore and carnage is here. This is a pretty bloody, violent yeah. movie. Uh, and he's even got some quips, but I would argue his quips are a lot wittier than the puns that Schwarzenegger would usually yeah. drop. Yeah, too. they they feel more like. The type of thing that a person in that situation would actually be like, yeah, they're more grounded. They're they're more grounded. They're they're sourced from like anger, agitation, annoyance. Like uh, he's fighting a bunch of thieves on his own. Yeah, Uh, and this is not is a shitty situation all in all for everybody involved. And uh, it really shines through a lot of the quotes and his reactions to stuff. And the fun thing about John McClane as a character as this series goes on is that he always starts at a severe disadvantage. In this movie, mm-hmm. he's tired and, and jet-lagged. In the next movie, he's been stuck in an airport for hours and he's cranky. In the third movie, he's hungover. Yeah. You know, like, and he's got to do all these extreme things, like, while he's already kind of at less than zero. You know, so it's a, it's always an interesting way to kind of make him an underdog. And there's the I, culture clash thing, too. He is a New York cop in L.A. And this was a time in the 80s when everyone was really fascinated by the differences between the two coasts. You know, yeah. like, oh, L.A. culture is so yeah. different from New York culture. Like, let's make a Woody York. Allen movie about it. Uh, yeah, like, that's it was kind uh, of that vibe. I do want to point out that when you were talking about the Die Hard movies there, you missed two. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I think I got all three of them, right? I got all three. Uh, yeah. All three, yeah. yeah. The three, the three Live Die Hard you, movies. Yeah, Live for Your Die Hard was more of just like an action movie. Uh, I I saw that one exactly it was one okay. time. Yeah, uh, it was fine. I'm most of my memories of that movie are subsumed by. Uh, 
me taking a stand and yelling at people who wouldn't shut up during the movie <laughs> and they left and the rest of the people in the theater like applauded and one guy bought me popcorn and that was like the, the only triumph riding the high it was like for years it was the only triumphant <laughs> moment i ever had of confrontation because i i avoid confrontation at all costs but so great. they were horrible uh, uh and then there was uh die hard in russia when uh that one i never, I never even saw, saw that i, I did i hear it's pretty dire yeah. Uh, yeah 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 it's no. a shame i mean because this movie was so popular and so influential that it not only kind of revived the whole action movie genre which was sort of growing a little stale because of all the big guns you know big muscles kind mm -hmm. of style it kind of revitalized it and in some of the better action movies we get in the 90s are just die hard on a blank mm -hmm. you know think of speed speed is die hard on a bus under siege is die hard on a ship uh air force one is die hard on air force one <laughs> you know like there's a lot of movies like that and those are all good movies yeah. those are fun watchable like tight action movies uh i, I never thought about air force one as die, die hard. hard and now it's clicking it totally is though right yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah it's absolutely it, it that so many of the movies that you think about are heavily following the general tone and even to a degree the formula. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's such a and to, such to, interesting relevation to me. To backtrack a little bit to Bruce Willis, like it is important to recognize what a big moment this was for him. So he got this part and his uh, representation was able to negotiate a $5 million payday. Now that's like, that's like Mel Gibson numbers back then. That's like... This is A-list numbers, you know, so everybody was kind of waiting for him to fail, you know. It was the same thing that happened with Michael Keaton in Batman. Like, it, people heard it, and they're just like, there's no way this makes sense. This guy doesn't fit my image of I'm what this still, character should be. I'm kind of amazed that he commanded that much. Mm -hmm. it, it, was a, it was a coup. It was seen as a coup even back then, and it was sort of a, a make-or-break moment. If this movie hadn't connected his career would have been over functionally. And instead it connected and he became like a new A-list star yeah. for the 90s, you know? Um, he's had an extremely long career. It's sad to think about him now. For those mm -hmm. who don't know, uh, Bruce Willis oh. has a pretty severe early onset dementia. Uh, at this and point, he's, also... he's nonverbal and his family's just kind of taking care of him uh, uh, nonstop. And it's it's a real shame um, because he he's a very unique movie star i think mm -hmm. and uh he's made a lot of great movies he's made a lot of bad movies too but he's made a lot of great movies and uh, i i always kind of enjoyed seeing him pop up and stuff so I, it's actually two things mm. um and i don't remember the name of the other one so i'm looking it up real quick aphasia aphasia yeah so it's aphasia primarily that is uh caused by brain damage and that makes it difficult to express and comprehend things yeah mm -hmm. and so that was making it so that he couldn't act yeah. Uh, yeah. He would have to, he, like, it was a struggle for him to get through a shoot. It was, um, it was like, before people knew what was going on, it was kind of like a point for critics to be mean to him. Yes. Like, he did mm -hmm. a performance he, of uh, Misery on stage with Laurie Metcalf, and people were criticizing him because he was getting his lines through an earpiece, you know? Oh. But it was because he couldn't yeah he was he was it was starting to slip like and he couldn't remember his lines yeah. like, he was trying but he he couldn't do it he had gotten a, a golden raspberry award yeah uh, and once they discovered it they uh revoked it they did yeah, yeah. they were the, like oh okay look this isn't cool <laughs> like, every every once in a while like the razzies have been kind of on an apology tour lately where they're they're going about there there's some like 
they would pick on little kids in movies and stuff like that, and just yeah. stuff that seemed really mean, and they would kind of go uh, back and apologize lately. That was uh, that was the announcement that they made last year, at the beginning of this year's when they announced that he also was struggling with dementia at the same mm-hmm. time. Right. And so to have a cognitive disorder that keeps you from being able to properly talk and then dementia, um, I saw a clip recently actually about uh, his birthday. Oh, yeah. And he... He's he's able to talk, but it definitely seems like he can't do sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's he's not. Yeah, he he's able to. You can tell in his face in the the way he's saying thank you to his daughter because it's his birthday. His daughter did something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, you could see mm-hmm. the the love and emotion there, but he was just fighting to find a way to say anything mm-hmm. it's to make it work and it's that, really sad it's sad it's to so, see yeah because so sad and from what i've heard he was a pretty decent dude yeah right? yeah for the most uh, part you yeah. know he he definitely had his like uh i'm a i'm a movie star i'm swinging yeah. my dick around now kind of era you know like he he had a music career that the less the less uh <laughs> spoken of the better yeah but you know he he had a little moment there and he he did become this like huge crossover star for yeah. a long time he, he, he kind of endured past a lot of his uh peers or a lot of the people's uh that you know they said he could never compete with Mm-hmm. So it was pretty amazing, you know, and we did uh, we lost Alan Rickman a few years ago, too, which was uh, yeah. one of those celebrity deaths that was like weirdly devastating. Obviously, yeah. it's like I didn't know him. It's just like, yeah, he he and Bowie died like right around the same time. And they were both guys who were like, you just don't really think of them dying. You well, know, they're, they're so, kind of just they're relatively like young. When you look at people like who, who are president is, yeah. you know, like. There's no reason they couldn't have lived for another 20, 25 years. Yeah, at least. Yeah. But So it's tragic. It's definitely a shame. Um, especially since uh, it was his second bout of cancer. Yeah. He had already gotten through prostate cancer. And then like a decade later with pancreatic cancer, I think. Yeah. That That's such a so out of left field and so unfortunate that you just like have to be sad that that happened like they already went through a battle and then to be hit with another one do you guys know the story of alexander gudinoff no No. he's the actor in this who plays carl kind of the main henchman the long blonde haired guy he was actually uh, kind of a big political figure in the 70s because he's, he's Russian-born. He is uh, or was at the time one of the best ballet dancers in the world. He, oh, danced wow. with, he danced with the Bolshoi, and he was in, like, Mikhail Baryshnikov's company and everything like that. Uh, and he defected from the Soviet Union to come to America so that he could dance with the New York Ballet. And that was kind of a big thing. We were still in the Cold War at this Mm -hmm. time. It was a big deal to have like a significant artist like that make the transition and kind of move over to America. And then he started acting a little bit after his film, uh, his ballet career kind of reached its conclusion. You you can only do that for so long. Um, It's very physically demanding. So, yeah, he had a handful of movie roles after this. I believe he 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 also died pretty young. He died back in the 90s. But uh, always interesting to see like i remember just watching the movie and thinking he was such a striking guy and then yeah. finding out he was a ballet dancer and like and one such of the great a good ones. character so it's yeah. a setup so early on that he killed his brother yeah that um that they create this um rivalry not just between um hans and um john mcclain but between carl and john mcclain absolutely and he's 
he's the physically imposing one, right? Like Hans is the smart one, but he's kind of like a reedy little guy. Like John McClane could beat him in a fight. Yes. Carl is the muscle. Like he's he's the one he's got to be afraid of. And the thing too is that he kind of has, and it, it's something that in my head clicked when you said it, the way that he kind of carries himself physically, I to me, it's just like, when you said, oh, they, they did dance, like ballet, they danced, it was like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. Because he seems to be moving very, kind of elegant, kind of like he determined, like he knows... He moves oh. with purpose. Yes. Yeah, look at yes. the way he moves across the roof, like holding the sniper rifle. Do you know what scene I'm yeah, talking about? Exactly yeah, I know exactly what you're he's talking like, about. He's like gliding across yes. the ground, like so concealing swift. his steps. Yeah, he's just, you can tell there's a lot of like capability there that's going into controlling all of this. Yeah. It's cool. And that's, that's again, just kind of why this movie has endured and like its reputation has just gotten better because like every character, like, yes, there are a lot of characters, but damn near every character gets a little bit of depth. Yeah. You know, yeah. most of the, the terrorists are they like, get a little bit of depth. Yeah, yeah. They just get out of there. But. And uh, they also have a, a great way. You ha- you're in this office building, which could be a really boring setting, but they have the lobby, they have the party, they have um, the conference room. Uh, they have the, um, the elevator shaft. They have the um, the roof. They so they make a, a meal out of this. What could have been a really boring setting. And on yeah. top of that, Nakatomi Tower. Which now that I'm thinking about it, I, I have a Nakatomi Tower shirt. Right. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. I should have worn it today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's an audio medium. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Just for funsies. Yeah. We're but, all wearing uh, tank tops. Yeah. Yes. yes. Covered in blood and sweat and, sweat and, and dirt and dirt. Some shards of glass. Yeah, I put a whole bunch of uh, glass in my feet. I hope you guys yeah. are cool with that. I uh, noticed it and I didn't want to say anything. I but, appreciate uh, that. You have good manners. Nakatomi Tower is also such like a fancy and elegant building. Yeah. Uh, of like it has a touch screen. Elegant. It has it has a touch screen. In 1988. Which, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I have to call bullshit on that scene a tiny bit just because yes. he uh, he is using the touch screen so he can look up the names. So this is the purpose of this scene is for us to see that his wife has changed her name but like the guard could have just said oh yeah they're all up on this floor because that's the only place anybody <laughs> is like why yeah. are you he's like oh yeah everybody who's left in the building so is on that floor it's like dude for, for anybody time. who hasn't seen die hard it's happening during like the big blowout corporate christmas party of like a pretty rich fucking corporation. A, pull, a pretty rich corporation, so rich that they don't mind making people have parties on New Year's Eve. Exactly. I mean, on Christmas Eve. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Which Apparently, never, like, which always happens in movies, but no, no. Oh, Christmas yeah. party has ever been like business Christmas party has ever been on New Year's. My office Christmas, Christmas party is like. After hear, people hearing this, is two days ago. No, mine, like, yeah. Mine's tomorrow. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know when mine is, but uh, I'm pretty sure I have an invite for it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the way that it's all dressed up, too. There's a Christmas tree that's two stories tall. It's gorgeous. Uh, yeah. There's so much, and that lends a lot of variety because you go from these, like, super fancy party places to, like, there's a couple of floors in the building that aren't finished yet. They're still being yeah. built out. Uh, they're not ready for a tenant to come into. Um, there's like maintenance shafts and corridors and stuff. They you make... could say the building is almost a character itself. No. Oh. Did you know that New York is a character? No. <laughs> they, they make use of just about every set 
piece you could possibly think of in an, an office building. Absolutely. Um, in so, yeah, you never get bored of it. But then, yeah, like you were saying, the, the building starts to become part of it. Yeah. To the point of where it gets a little splody at some points, and you're like, oh. Absolutely. And I mean, <laughs> but- I, to me, I was just like, the structural damage to this building. I don't, th- I don't think this building's fixable. Probably <laughs> not. Yeah, at this point, they blow off the whole roof of it, and then a helicopter they, crashes into they blow it. Off yeah, the roof of it. They blow off like the fourth they, floor. Yeah, I, I think it's lower than the fourth floor. But yeah, yeah no, they do a number on a lot of parts of this building. Yeah, and um, I mean, even the characters that like you get that aren't maybe the most developed, they're at least distinctive like the yeah. pop you know you you get you get one of the terrorists who's like i always think of him as the the butterfinger guy you know yeah, the butterfinger he's he's, he's he's queuing up in the gift shop and then decides like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna oh. sneak a candy bar like you get i think he wasn't it didn't he go for a crunch bar crunch bar oh, excuse I, me crunch bar. i noticed that specifically because it's one of my favorite candy bars okay when he does that i'm like oh fuck yeah buddy you're, me and you you're like you get it you <laughs> yeah, get it you know i was thinking i was like well i haven't had a crunch bar in <laughs> years so what That's you're my, saying is it worked <laughs> that's kind of my because thing with crunch bar yeah I'll, nestle I'll, probably paid some money for that one <laughs> i i will go five years at a time without eating a crunch bar and then i'll have one and it'll hit the damn spot yeah. and then five years that that'll hold me that'll but hold that, me for the next five years that's exactly it same thing like i don't get them very often but when i do i'm like this was they the get one it. to get right now yeah but i mean yeah even like Argyle, the limo driver, gets a lot of good moments. Yes. Like yes. The, the shitty like reporter gets some good moments. Like the nerdy guy uh, who's like hacking the bank gets some fucking good moments. Reporter. William it's Atherton deserves some kind of statue for playing all the shittiest like uh, <laughs> bad guys in eighties movies. Between this and Ghostbusters, and like I think there's a few more. There's right? a few like, more. Yeah. Uh, He's got a lot of like evil um, dean energy. I don't know if he ever played an evil dean, but he's got so much of that energy. But going going back to Theo, the, oh yeah, the, the nerdy hacker guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I growing up, my family watched a lot of. Uh, was it just called Texas Rangers? With the one with Walker, Chuck, Texas, Walker Rangers. Texas Rangers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is him, and isn't he, it? He was the he was the partner and oh, like yeah. Walker's like, best oh, my friend God. and confidant. I don't know how oh, I never wow. ended up together. He he drove a Corvette. Yeah. Like I fucking loved that guy in Walker. And so then seeing him in this movie, I was like, yes. Hello. I never connected that. I Every never connected that as well. In a movie, I'm just like, hello yeah. again, old friend. I, I, I pulled it up here, but his name's Clarence. Clarence Gilliard. Clarence yeah. Gilliard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody plays their role so well. And they all have like little, little like ticks and quirks and stuff that are nothing major but just like little things like like little attitude pieces like they have character like I mean, the- how how strong of a character opening when you open the door and ellis is doing cocaine on yeah. a holly's desk <laughs> i mean well and let's talk about holly too because i think in a lesser movie this character would have felt so superfluous she would have felt just like the princess at the castle that you needed to yeah. rescue mm-hmm. And, you know, she she's kind of at a disadvantage because she does have to spend the movie being kind of the hostage and being sort of the the threat that's being dangled over John's head. But they find a lot of ways to, like, assert her character, let it be known that she is a leader, that she's in this job for a reason and that she is strong and independent. Like, to the they find a lot of ways to make that work in the yeah, few scenes that do. she gets. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not going to pass the Bechtel test. I think she talks to one pregnant lady, but they talk about her little boy that, <laughs> that she's birthing. So, uh, you know. 
What uh, What's the name of the cocaine guy again? Ellis. Ellis, yeah. Played by uh, Hart Bachner. Great name. Like, Ellis tries to be the person in charge, buddy-buddy, you know, I'm, I'm going to work this out. But Holly ends up being more of the leader for the hostages in terms of advocating for treatment, stuff like that. Like, hey, we've got a pregnant lady. She's going to need to use the restroom. We need to make sure we're taking care of her. Yeah. Uh, if if we start dropping these things, people are going to get real pissy. And it's going to be a lot harder for you to get your way. And, like, she she navigates it for them. John McTiernan uh, had a— really helps. John yeah. McTiernan had a funny story about the Ellis character where, like, he wasn't happy about that performance. He thought that character was too over the top. And then he showed it to the Fox executives, and that was their favorite character because <laughs> that's the one they recognized. They recognized him as a real guy. <laughs> they're like, they're we like, know that guy. Basically, yeah. He's just like, you know, he's this sleazy, misogynistic cokehead who thinks he can, like, you know, talk his way out of the situation. And so it's it's got all these like very eighties hallmarks like that uh, while still feeling. Uh, and um, but they have uh, uh, I like to call crisis boobs. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always like oh a woman's top is torn off ah I, screaming with boobs I, uh, it's I, uh, it's so brief that like i remember watching it with my parents for the first time i was pretty young and uh they're just like wait do we, usually if like nudity happened on screen my mom's move was to get up and turn the tv off for a few seconds yeah. and wait for it to go away and in this one it happened so fast she's just like Wait, do I, it, is it is it coming back? Do I what, uh, what so do we do? I had seen this movie a few times on TV, and then I watched this movie with I believe one of my roommates mm-hmm. or on my own, and we missed that entirely. Yeah. And then the next year, I was home, and I my mom was like, "What is there a movie anybody wants to watch?" And it was, and I'm like, "Oh, Die Hard." Yeah. It's a Chris. It's a great Christmas movie, and they're like, "Sure, why not?" And that scene came on. My mom just looks at me and goes, Justin Allen. I'm like, I didn't know that scene was there. How did I not know? Ash. I was like, it's, it doesn't happen again? I think. It, it was a crisis. It was a crisis. Walking past the, um, uh, the pinup. Uh, and yeah, she, the first was... time he walks past it and he checks her out. The second time he walks past it and he touches her for good luck. Uh, I mean, you gotta. I'm love not. This. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not mad at the show. I'm just. I'm just saying. I just thought it was really funny. I love that as a little character detail. I mean, I feel like we get to know John so much through those little bits that he's doing. You know, like. He's grossed out. Oh, by something they do in both Die Hard One and Die Hard Two that I think is really interesting is that they have women like I fuck them, and mm. he's like, oh, he just demurs because I'm married. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> they're just they're establishing these that I'm sexually desirable, but I'm married. They they do make a point of that. Like very first scene when he's on the plane, yeah. the stewardess yeah. takes a long moment to check him out. I'm like, all right, all right. I, I mean, I get it. You know, he's he's got the he's got the kind of swagger. You know, like he's not. He's really cute. Oh my god! Yeah. And when he's like crawling around in that tank top, especially at the beginning before it's all oh, dirty, yeah. his arm look amazing <laughs> oh, look he, he's in great shape he fits he, the part yeah. it's it's you know i i referred earlier that he has like a like a bit of a pooch or whatever but like not really it's just kind of in comparison to schwarzenegger and stallone yeah, or a rambo like too but he's right like, like he's not like yeah he's not doesn't look like a fucking uh king's hawaiian greater on his stomach or something, <laughs> you know? he looks like, like a, he looks like he's a cop who actually does stuff yeah yeah, yeah. like he, he's he's but you know and he does have to spend 
the last like third of the movie shirtless but this isn't the same way that Schwarzenegger would do it to just like show his gains you know this yeah. is him showing his vulnerability we need to be able to see that he is bloody and cut up and we also uh, need to know like when he goes through the window jumping off the building oh we need to be aware God. that his bare skin his chest and his back yeah. are getting sliced up by glass oh my gosh the who Ever was the genius that wrote this screenplay and had him be barefoot. Yeah. Because like so I still good. have I have not seen an action movie before or since that has something that is so fucking amazingly like cringe. Like you feel the pain when he's stepping on that glass and it's utterly unbelievable. It yeah. starts out as something that you just assume is like a throwaway thing because you can he has a little bit of discomfort on the plane and the guy's like yeah uh i know it sounds really dumb but if you got one of those like thick carpets and then just like squeeze your toes on them or whatever yeah, it really yeah. helps with uh like clearing it out all that stuff making you feel better getting rid of the jet lag and yeah he, he's doing that when the shit goes down and doesn't grab his shoes and then you're like oh he doesn't have his shoes and then it's a major it's like it's notable a, the rest of the movie. i mean he, he has multiple times where he's trying to take shoes off of like dead terrorists <laughs> and they never fit his feet but it, it is it's such a brilliant moment because again this is an era of action heroes where like bullets are bouncing off them or like they'll get a little yeah. graze or something and they'll be fine like they shrug off all their injuries john mcclain cannot shrug any of these off he needs to try and walk around and fight for his life against 30 heavily armed men while he's bleeding out of his feet. There's like a solid five minute scene where he's just in the bathroom talking on the radio, pulling glass out of his feet and yeah. trying to clean himself up a little bit. And again, uh, we get we get moments of vulnerability in there, yeah. too, because he's talking to Al and like he's genuinely scared. He's like, I've got a bad feeling. I don't think this is going to go my way. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and he's also like genuinely interested in al too he's not just like you know a action movie conversation it's like no they're connecting yeah yeah they have such great chemistry yeah. through a radio through a radio through a radio their chemistry is off the charts and yeah. through a radio when they're not even calling john mcclain by his name no yeah. not they, until the final like what 20 minutes yeah do they start using his name because he's intentionally keeping it off the radio yeah Absolutely. I mean, weirdly, they kind of do that in Die Hard 2 as well, because Al is in that movie, yeah. but he only talks to him over the phone, like because he's in uh, L.A. or something and uh, John's in D.C. Yep. So, yeah, it's kind of a weird mechanic. But, you know, when those two like meet face to face at the end of the movie and get the big hug and the cuddle, like, come on, that's yeah. that's yeah. adorable. He's so uh, relieved to be alive and to see this guy. And so and, like, for anybody who somehow doesn't know what Die Hard is about, uh, it's it's a heist movie. That's not about the heisters. It's about the it's, one dude who's stuck there who just happens to also have just enough ability to try to do And I think this is a it. genius move by the screenwriters and by the director setting this up as a heist like and like like it's a heist movie because yeah. we understand the stakes, we understand the geography, we understand what they're getting and what they want and they under and then there's this fl like fly as they said fly in the ointment uh to this heist cuz like this easily could have been uh told from 
uh, Hans Gruber's perspective of being a debonair Ocean's Eleven style um, villain. Yeah. Uh, but instead, it's told from John's perspective, and it's so it, like, but it's simultaneous perspectives that are just makes it such a strong movie. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and you can argue that the Christmas of it all, like since we're talking about Christmas this month, you can argue that the Christmas of it all is just sort of a mechanic to get all these people an excuse to have them all in the room at the same time. But there is something really intriguing about Christmas time in Southern California. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that Shane Black hit on too. All of Shane Black's movies, anything he wrote or directed, is a Christmas movie. So Lethal Weapon, Long Kiss Goodnight, Iron Man 3, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, all of these movies are Christmas movies. They're just set in LA. No, we won't get to talk about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on this podcast, but oh my god, if you guys have not seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, please go watch it. It is a fucking delight i will also go to bat hard for the long kiss goodnight have you oh, seen that yeah it's so also really good, good. The long kiss i haven't seen rules. that in a while but i i see kiss kiss bang bang on a pretty regular basis because yeah. i love it so much absolutely i mean yeah there there really is a nice like uh contrast there of like and the palm trees and the twinkly lights you i would know? say before mel gibson became a pariah and became he was just such a that ugh, God, awful. It, it's a bummer. Uh, um, I loved Lethal Weapon. Absolutely. So much. That movie's uh, still pretty damn perfect. It's yeah. so good, and I. Ugh, it's such a good movie. And Lethal Weapon two and Lethal Weapon three. It just like it feels like such a great trilogy. Absolutely. Yeah. They didn't need to glaze it with four. We'll actually talk about Lethal Weapon a bit. Yeah. yeah we got. Oh, we have what? games. Yeah. We will talk about okay. Lethal Weapon. Technically, I think the game is based on Lethal Weapon 3, but it's just oh, yeah. called Lethal Weapon. It's one of those weird situations. So so what you're saying is I'll have to – I'll actually watch them then. You'll finally well, I was get to watch I was it. There's boobs in that one too like, though. So like don't, a lot don't, more boobs Don't watch it with one. your mom and, yeah. and Mel Gibson's butt. Oh. Which is uh, a, is that the one where he gets the moonlight shot, or is that so? Two? What you're saying is Mel Gibbon. Yeah, he just there's just a gratuitous shot of him like walking in the moonlight, just so you could see his buns. It's not gratuitous. It's crucial. Uh, <laughs> the, this movie, I mentioned it earlier. It just has so much good dialogue. Oh. Yeah, I uh, like I. I cracked up so fucking hard the first time. I hadn't seen Die Hard in years when I watched it with my roommate that one time. Mm. And uh, when he's trying to get help on the radio and the lady's like, sir, this is a restricted thing. It's like, no shit. What do you think I'm doing? Ordering a fucking pizza? I was like, oh, it's so so good. good. It's so good. I mean, and it's great that he's bringing that like hard bitten New York energy to an L.A. scene where (laughs) he just he feels like he's an alien in so many ways. So much frustration comes through uh, in so many different ways I love the of the Hans movie. Gruber he says something to Theo along the lines but Theo um, have some faith it's Christmas it's the time of miracles Absolutely. <laughs> and you get the swell of hallelujah like yeah. playing when they finally do open the bank vaults like lots of good mo- I, I love uh, Hans making up a list of demands like acting like yeah. he's a political terrorist yeah. to conceal the fact that he's just trying to steal a shitload of money like I mean, just so many little great details like that. Uh, it's it's like a two and a half hour movie that just like clips by like nothing. Like it's so incredibly fast paced, so much fun, and it's it just it just kind of fires on all. Well, cylinders. and I think it's so memorable. Like how many of like oh like so many times when we're doing this podcast, we we call like people by their their actor name. Yeah. Like here we're being like John, Hans, Carl, Argyle. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Theo. Uh, yeah, it's just the 
another I think genius move in the writing here is the use of the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the it's like in video games you get it all the time and you get it in some movies too where like the main villain is like monologuing at like on a PA system while you're on your way to fight them or whatever. But this is like, oh no, this is a two-way system, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk shit right back. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's that's where we get our iconic yippee-ki-yay motherfuckers. Yeah, like, that's where all that's coming the from. The banter like. throughout is so, so good. The first time I ever watched this, it was definitely on TV. So I can't remember what they said. It was like, yippee-ki-yay. Um, Mother, father or something. Something along yeah. those lines. It was... <laughs> yeah yeah i love tv edits like i yeah. there's some because some uh like syndicators would like dub over the dialogue sometimes they would just bleep it but sometimes they would have somebody like a sometimes sound alike try to replace it. sometimes the dialogue. they would cut the di- they would silence and then sometimes yeah and die hard was definitely one of those ones where every time i saw it on tv yeah they were very clearly dubbing over and it it was I think Die Hard was the one where it felt like the longer it was either Die Hard one or two, but the longer the movie went on, the less they tried to match the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like at the beginning you're like, that almost sounded like Bruce Willis. And by the end you're like, What, what is this? I well, mean This was not even delivered well. That actually let alone trying to sound like Bruce Willis. That might actually give us a good uh, segue to talk about some of these games because the uh, the, the the Bruce Willis soundalikes that they get in this game are <laughs> trying. Like I guess it's hard to do a Bruce yeah. Willis impression, you know, like without just doing like a Jersey I guy. Think, I think the guy in the PlayStation game did a decent job. Was like with the inflection and get the, way the hell that, like, out of here. So, some words get kind of carried longer uh the way that John McClane says them. Yeah. Uh, I think it worked out pretty well. Um well here let's let's segue into this cuz I'm sure we will get back to the movie as well just cuz that's what we do. That's how we do it. Um but I want to talk about the games a little bit because I was a little stymied about how to unfold these and then i remembered uh oh this is our show we can do it however we want um but i think i get so caught up on the format i'm like all right does this match the format entirely and the Die Hard video game series is pretty strange in a lot of ways so we have one game that's actually expressly based on one of the movies uh, and then yeah yeah that's like actually based on one movie then we get a ps1 game that is based on all three movies kind of loosely and then the rest are either reskins of japanese games or their original stories set in the universe that don't really have anything to do with die hard so it kind of made it difficult to talk about like we we can't run the whole trilogy here and there are only three we can't run the whole trilogy here because there's only games based on the one movie unless we wanted to talk about Die Hard Trilogy three times. So <laughs> we, that'd be a weird way to go. And as we're about to see, like those games don't really have a lot of meat on them, you know, so it's not really something we can dig into. But let's start by talking about the NES game that came out in 1990. It's from Acclaim. And uh, this is a really interesting game in a lot of ways, I think. Um so first of all, it's a top-down perspective, uh, which is, for whatever reason... Wasn't it Activision? Oh, it is Activision. Yeah. Thank you. Excuse me. I, I get those confused <laughs> all the time, uh, especially in, in this era. They had kind of similar logo. Oh, no, it was a claim. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I'm, Sorry, yeah, I think my I'm bad. Right that. Yeah, no, that's all good. Because it, it had the colored logo. 
Oh, okay, that was it. Yeah. yeah um, like rainbowy thing. Yeah, Acclaim is long dead, but uh, Activision lives on, or is it Microsoft <laughs> now? I don't know. Um, uh, technically, it's Activision Blizzard because they are currently a merger between Activision and Blizzard. Right. However, they are being wholesale bought by Microsoft, so I believe they will operate as Activision Blizzard still. Okay. Um, for the foreseeable future, at least. Well, this game has a pretty interesting structure in a lot of ways. So, like... First of all, you have the top-down, like, kind of bird's-eye view perspective, which is not something you see in games of this era very often. It reminds me a lot of a game I really love called Hotline Miami. It came out a couple years oh, ago. Yeah. Like, it's a very violent, couple like... A couple years ago? Like, a that decade was, ago. Yeah. You know, so it was, like, 2015. This, this is, again, this is shit, like, uh, like I, I still think... Time like, is a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> The other day I had a realization. I'm like, oh, wow, I still think of Katy Perry as like a current new artist. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, her career is like oh my God, 15 no. years old. You were right. Hotline Miami came out in 2012. Yeah, yeah, it's been about a decade. Hotline yeah. Miami 2 was like twenty. A little after that, yeah. But so. those games are pretty fantastic, and I think they are they owe a little bit to these games in, in spirit. Um, but this one really tries to adapt the movie or like the central tenets of the movie into an NES game in a way that I think is interesting. First of all, you have a health meter and you have a foot meter. It's kind <laughs> of an interesting little tech, but like enemies uh, can shoot out glass in this. And if you walk on it, you will lower your foot meter. And if you lower your foot meter too much, you can't really get around very well. Um, uh, that, that was inspired by Quentin Tarantino. It was, <laughs> yes, yes. He, he always has a foot meter in his films. A little known fact, right? Oh, yeah. Nobody knows this. Yeah, he just he just keeps it to if himself. If the, the foot meter doesn't get high enough, the movie doesn't get released. So. It, was, it was Tarantine by Quentin Inspirino. <laughs> yes, anyway, dumb thing. Dumb thing to say. I don't know why I always want to spooner. I, don't, I always want to spooner. I'm just gonna sigh. Name. I'm just gonna sigh. I love that. Um, but so there, there are a finite number of enemies in this game, which is yeah. also unique for an NES, where like they usually just kind of regenerate over and over. This time, like in this game, if you shoot an enemy, they will stay on the floor like the rest of the game. Like they yep. will stay where you shot them. Uh, there are only 40 terrorists in the entire game, and your goal is to defeat all of them before Theo and uh, Hans can open up the safe. You know, So I think you have like four-minute increments before each safe pops off, Sounds which gives right. you r- roughly a, a little short of a half an hour to beat the game. You can extend that time a little bit by finding certain computers throughout the game. But, uh, but I, I think the difficulty thing that we run into with this game is, uh, well, it's the difficulty. Um, <laughs> yeah. It turns a- out... It's a pretty hard game. It's it's kind of a bullet hell, you know. If you're not familiar with yeah. that genre, it's the idea that basically just bullets are filling every frame of the screen, and the goal is more to evade, like really nimbly, than it is to actually shoot back. Yeah. So Except you're doing it on a D-pad. You do it on a D-pad. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, yeah is is a little clunky, as we'll see with the next game too. A little difficult to just work with the D-pad. I I think that it, as far as concepts go, one. It's one of the games that has most closely followed the actual like concept yeah. of the movie. Weirdly, yeah, it really is. Because that's basically what John McClane was doing. Although there's only like, what, 12, 15 yeah. people that he was going against? Yeah, something um, like that. But it's a very similar concept. Uh, you start off with just a pistol with some ammo, and you can kill people and take their machine guns. But as you have finite ammo, so you can eventually get reduced down to, oh, just I got to go throw hands. Yeah. yeah. These guys have guns, and I'm over here running out the door. Yeah, to punch them up. 
I mean, um, yeah, yeah it, it is weird how faithful it is to the idea of the movie. Like, yeah. Hans will interrupt the game sometimes, like a little cutscene of Alan Rickman will show up and he'll tell a certain terrorist to go up to this floor to find him. After the first safe blows, he realizes that you're listening in and he says, no more radio communications. Mm -hmm. And then you don't hear from him anymore. So you can't get a warning when the terrorists are coming for you. The the interesting thing to that is that you have to kill a terrorist first, Mm -hmm. take his radio, and then whenever you get hit, you drop an item. You can go pick it up. But that only happens if you have the radio. Yeah. So uh, it's such a... Yeah, honestly, in in terms of it being an SNES game, yeah, or original NES, yeah, original yeah, NES, yeah, not even super. Well thought through. Yeah, I do it think is, it's a well thought through game. You can traverse the same general number of floors that they do in the movie. Um, we were, which is uh, say you have access to like six or seven yeah, floors. Like you, we never go to the lobby because he doesn't really I, spend any time yeah, in the lobby. I think you have access to like floor thirty to the roof, which is like thirty-seven. Yeah, 35, yeah, something like that. And uh, each one has a bunch of different stuff happening. Um, it seems like once you get to a certain point, like the game won't let you go down to 30. No, because no. Because that's where all the bad guys are. Right. But according to the, the way it was explained when you try to do it, it's like I, we, you can't go down there until the hostages aren't there. Yeah. So it sounds like as time progresses, things progress and that allows you to start to go down to the the 30th floor yeah and that may cause changes to the other floors uh i don't know this but, no but uh, it, either way it seems like it's a well set up game it's clever uh much better than the ps1 game interesting take interesting so, i will the one other thing i will throw about diehard nes is just that it's a it's a, one of those one life games like you can't get yes. any more continues so that's what makes it more challenging like you can get pretty good at evading those bullets and like taking out terrorists. You can make some good progress, but it's pretty unforgiving. You get that one life and you're done. And if you go to a certain floor and walk into the bathroom, there's some med packs there for you to fix your feet, just yes. like in the movie. Just your feet. Except in the movie, it was paper towels. And then soda, in classic uh, 80s video game style, you cure your health by drinking soda. Oh, is that yeah. what it is? Oh, yeah, that's what yeah. those are. Yeah. Okay. Every time, that's going to cure your health. Which, again, makes a little sense for the movie because the only time we ever see him eating is like snacking on Cokes and Old Stale Twinkies. Like, yeah. that's what he has at his disposal. <laughs> All right. Because he can't go to the party. Yeah. This is, this is really just... And this he was movie, trying to welcome people. He was welcoming yeah. all his pals to the party. You know, this movie is about cock blocking John McClane from going to the Christmas party. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> That's what this movie is about. It is. I don't think he wants to go there though. I, like all these Californians. Um, but yeah, okay. Let's talk about this other game uh, that uh, I think J Band's going to have some slightly hotter <laughs> takes on. I think uh, this is Die Hard Trilogy. It was released in September of 1996. It's from Probe Interactive and it's released by Fox Interactive. This came out on the PS1, the Saturn, and the window and Windows. We played this on PS1. Yeah. This this is a in, really interesting idea for a game, and it's actually a similar one for the Alien series that we didn't really touch on at all, but it's from the same makers. It's just called Aliens Trilogy, so it's kind of the same idea. But basically, this is like three little games in one, and each game is based on the three movies in the series up to that point, or, I mean, the only three movies that exist in the Die Hard series, mm. of course. And uh, they... The, the interesting thing is that each one is a totally different genre. So, like, the first game, Die Hard, is a third-person kind of action-y shoot-em-up, sort of like a, like a gauntlet or something like that, where you're running around mowing down enemies. 
The second game, Die Hard 2, is a first-person shooter that's like an on-rails yeah, like, that takes place in a... Yeah, style on-rails shooter. And then the third game, Die Hard with a Vengeance, is a uh, kind of like a crazy taxi-style game where you are yeah. literally running around in a crazy taxi trying to... I guess run, run over, over bombs. Be, run, run over, over people bombs? with bombs. The only things that we encountered during our time playing was uh, mission, uh, objectives to run over bombs in a taxi. Yeah. However, there were like when you start into that version of the game, uh, it shows like trailer esque video, and it looks like you can get like into a police car later. Like you can, yeah. I accidentally uh, did that, and then I got stuck in the lot because I couldn't figure out how to reverse. And then uh, you look, exploded. I then also didn't figure exploded. out how And New York blew up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so even though we're only talking about the first movie, really, we did play a little bit of each uh, of these. Okay. So let's push a little. A little thing okay. You can do. You go first. Game. So fun fact. I had actually played this game before as a kid. Okay. I'd gone to a friend's house and I'd mentioned this to the others. And we went to uh, a video store in town we were just checking out the games, and his parents were the parents that would kind of let us rent whatever we wanted. Sure. And so we rented this game. No fucking idea what Die Hard was. Okay. <laughs> we no idea whatsoever, and that's why when you pulled up the game, I was just thinking, and I'm like, no shit. Yeah. This just... I, I remember now playing a game like this that was called something that seemed violent, like Die or whatever, and I'm like... <laughs> Oh my god! I played the Die Hard game as a kid before I even knew what Die Hard was. Yeah. Oh, you were playing the game version of Deflator Mouse, the uh, opera from Germany. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that was what that was. Uh, now you say some of your bits. Uh, I wanted to pause it, and I just wanted to have like a few words, even though I had, it's been a long time since I've watched it, about how much I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. Fuck yes! I I think it's, I watched it like two months ago, and it holds up. Oh, it's Such so a good. good uh, sequel that changes the not quite genre but like drastically changes the way the movie is mm -hmm. and uh works so well yeah and starting off with an antagonistic buddy um <laughs> as opposed to a friendly buddy and it was just i don't it was so, it's such a good movie and like the um i don't they had the the use of classical music in it yeah uh, it was so good and i'm just like oh I, I I really feel like it's probably like probably the movie that I just feel like it's like one of the best third movies of trilogies. Um, it's yeah. so slept on. Like I think today we don't talk about it enough Especially because like since so many third movies just suck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like I, I think that movie is almost like a uh, course correction from Die Hard Two a little bit. Like Die Hard Two is a fun movie. I enjoy Die Hard Two, but. That one is much more of a traditional shoot 'em up action movie, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. <clears throat> it's it hits some of the same beats, but it's got a lot more uh, cheesy energy to it, <clears throat> and it's much more violent and much more cruel. No, I'm fine. <laughs> okay. um, and Die Hard Three kind of resets things a little bit. We're back to very very weary, hungover, like uh, uh, bad marriage John McClane. We're back to a member of the Gruber family, so mm -hmm. like a German terrorist. Yeah. But then we introduce this element of A, the buddy, uh, played by Samuel L. Jackson, and B, the series of puzzles that he's sending around the, the city to solve. Come on. How fun the is that? The one has been such a common puzzle across games in media for so long. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, you guys are witnessing the uh, the Gunter shuffle when my dog uh, doesn't really want to go outside and gets excited. <laughs> it's so adorable. <laughs> he does a little shuffle. Yes, but I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. I think Die Hard with the so and it was on. so funny about like I, I was hoping that there would be some puzzles in the Die Hard trilogy game on the third game because like you can pick which movie to go into, uh, and and it was just was just a hor like. A horrible driving game. Um, Which I will point out that there wasn't a lot of good driving games back then. On like, I think Driver was one of the big ones that came out, and then people were like, "Oh, this is a thing that we can do." Yeah. Uh, at that point, Grand Theft Auto existed, but it was top-down driving around in cars and stuff. It wasn't 3D. Mm-hmm. It didn't hit 3D until we had an analog stick. Yeah. And so uh, driving games were so weird without a more precise way to drive because this... they were, they're not touch sensitive. They're not force feedback. No matter how you press the button, it's doing the exact thing. So you have to get used to like little tippy taps in order to drive in a relatively straight line. This is a really interesting time for video games in general. This came out in 1996, so this is kind of first generation of PlayStation 1 games that came out. The dual analog sticks did not exist, you know, so you just didn't have them. Your D-pad was the only thing you could control anything with. Not only did the dual, no No analog analog sticks. And so, like, and you're also still striking a balance tonally, right? Because arcades are still very much a force in the world. And a lot of the games that are being released on home consoles are adaptations of arcade games. And so they need to have that kind of freewheeling arcadey spirit, which I would argue this game has. Mm-hmm. Like all three versions of this. Definitely feels yeah. like a bad arcade the, game. The it feels- second one is the, the on-rail arcade shooter is mm-hmm. an arcade game. It like, absolutely is. Yeah, and uh, That's exactly how it would be. I I I think I'm feeling a lot more charitable towards this game than J-Ban is like I because there is something charmingly shaggy about it. Um, I agree it's a little hard to control just with the D-pad. It's hard like, to control and the graphics are so bad you like keep almost killing hostages it's, it's or innocent people. Mm, I, I I don't care. They're they're you can you can make you can make a hostage look different than a than a terrorist. You probably could. Yeah, yeah I mean the 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 body language of them hunching over like looking scared doesn't super read like Look, especially like from a distance so i mean we didn't have as big of a problem as J-Band did with shooting all the hostages. <laughs> the game also doesn't seem to super punish you for no, doing that either. Like, especially in the driving section, we were all mowing down everybody, uh, smashing I, into cars. Yeah, I oh. hit a lot of cars. J-Band like exterminated a neighborhood. <laughs> Everybody who was outside got ran over. Hey. I mean, it's probably good because those bombs when they go off are apocalyptic. Yes. Like when those bombs go off, if you miss any of them, like it is a Terminator 2 fire cloud yeah. like wiping and, people out. And we had that moment where it cuts away to a very late 90s rendering of New York getting blown up and the Twin Towers were there and we're like yeah that that has aged poorly yeah there is a there is a specific graphic animation in this game of the Twin Towers getting blown up but that's that's it was that was New York though yeah right that was one of the that was a symbol of New York yeah which is why that's happened oh of course did. yeah no um, it, obviously so no they couldn't have known you know it's it's not it's just one of those weird coincidences that Kermit was gonna <laughs> cause all these things what <sighs> you don't know this 
there's a, a Kermit. There's a a Christmas movie with the Muppets where they do like a you know the different ghosts going back in time. Uh, like and, Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, and at one point, uh, things work out where it's like, wait, the Twin Towers are there in this version where Kermit didn't exist. Oh, well, there were lots of movies like that. Conspiracy what? theory. No, okay, let, like, um, okay, it is. We're no no conspiracy theories 100%. on this podcast. I'm throwing it, it away. I'm definitely away. a very jokey conspiracy no, theory. No, I'm, I'm throwing uh, it away. But um, it's one of those like really dumb, vague conspiracy theories that I'm like, who figures these things out? Yeah. People with too much time on their hands. People with too much time. I, I mean, so I would argue that this game does hit some of the beats and get some of the f- vibe right. But, but like, it's it's kind of running a little counter to the spirit of the movie. Yes, because the movie 100%. is not like a shoot 'em up like action movie. It is It is more... In the initial opening, I believe I killed maybe... 25, 30 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Jaden, how many of them were actual terrorists? Uh, I only killed one hostage. Okay. Um, that time. I, but I did execute them. <laughs> I, I will say I think the Die Hard section of this game was the one I enjoyed the most, and it's not the one I was expecting to enjoy the most yeah. because it feels like the one that would have aged the most poorly of the three. I like the Die Hard 2 section okay. the most. Yeah. Yeah. I had trouble with the aiming. I think it might be better if I was using the light gun. I don't yeah. have a light gun for this, so like I wouldn't be able to do it. But this I game don't... does support that. Did they have a light gun for the PlayStation? Oh yeah, they had several. Like Namco had a version. Like lots of different people had really? them. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I there's, think I knew that. there's a ton of great light gun games on the PS One. You get Point Blank. Uh, you know? Oh, you know what's a good? Oh, this is PS Two, but weirdly a really good one. Starsky and Hutch. Ooh. Because oh. one player gets to drive and the other one gets to shoot. Oh, I think I have actually heard of this. It's before. fun. Yeah, it's actually fun. Um. Um, yeah, no, my buddy Woody is a big yeah. uh, light gun enthusiast. Like, so I was it based on the movie? Will we be based on the show? On the show, it was based on the old okay. '70s TV show. So unfortunately, it won't come up for us. But yeah. uh, that game's a lot of fun. It, uh, like I knew that that existed at that time, obviously from the, like Duck Hunt and stuff. Oh yeah, but like I just it never that was never a connection that I ever saw or heard of. Yeah, for the PlayStation. Oh, but I mean, cool. yeah, I, I I feel like the Die Hard section of here was the one I was having the most fun with, especially yeah. once you figure out where the power ups are and like, you know, it, all the it's a it's, it's a endemic loose. of it's an endemic of games of this era that yeah. they don't really tell you what you're doing. Like they they are anticipating that you have the manual somewhere. Uh, Rivet, <laughs> stop being a Tarantino. Sorry, my <laughs> my dog's licking feet. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, because Sorry, she can't lick noses. It's true. Yeah, she's a booger monster. Um, yeah, but the, the the With a Vengeance one was definitely the weakest one for me just because controlling that cab with the D-pad at the speeds that you're going yeah. with the narrow turns that you need to make is pretty tough. Like, this is a good three years before Crazy Taxi even came out. And so to like, be fair, I will say that in, in games like that, uh, whether it's Grand Theft Auto or whatever, you you do quickly learn uh, like the way to actually get good at driving in those games is to realize oh yeah uh, this isn't a racetrack yeah uh, moderation is needed I can't go full speed oh, but, but the is, game wants you to go full it is speed. a race yeah no it, it is. is absolutely a race against uh, time like yeah that's that's definitely an issue but uh, yeah if if you slow it down just a bit you can control a bit better but it's still I mean I was throwing cars across lanes of traffic yeah uh, it was not great. 
how you uh, typically drive. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, I owned a car for five days before I totaled it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Good times. I, I can absolutely understand feeling, like, frustrated with this game because it, it the controls are rough. The yeah. graphics are a little rough. But I, I don't know. I think there's something pretty charming and oh, fun here. I mean, at the time, we spent $3, and I don't think we were disappointed to play the game. Um so it at least kind of worked. Yeah. Um, I don't think it hit. Uh, I don't think it was game of the year. No, no, not necessarily. Sure. But but. Um, but the next game, I really enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. We we took a little diversion because again, we can. Why not? It's our show. Uh, I found a ROM of the Japanese version of this game uh, that was released for the PC Engine. It was called the Turbo Graphics 16 over here. Uh, the, which is a pretty obscure console even yes. for a lot of like gaming nerds. Uh, but this one it, it was never released over here. There were always some weird licensing issues with Die Hard over in Japan. Uh, one of the significant games we didn't talk about is called Die Hard Arcade. It came out on the Saturn. It's a 3D action game. And uh, when they released it in Japan, they removed all, they had to remove all the Die Hard licensing from it. So they changed the name to Dynamite Cop. Uh, and then they released Dynamite Cop over here as its own game. So it became this whole kind of cyclical thing. So this was another one of those situations. Like, they made it a pretty loose adaptation of what Die Hard is. So, like, J-Ban, what's the first level of this game? You're going through a jungle, man. <laughs> it looks like it is straight ripped from, like, Rambo. A hundred percent straight ripped from Rambo. And it plays, like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the old uh, arcade game, Ikari Warriors. It kind yeah. of plays like that, where you're, like, scrolling from bottom to top. You're shooting everybody, and uh, you, that you're basically just an unstoppable killing machine. And your whole goal is just to, like, wipe out enough people to get to the end of the level. You know, so it's got a... It, it was fun, actually. It like, was fun. I It was definitely, like, one of those arcade games that has, like, the really, like, lovely difficulty of, like, you almost die, but you get health right yeah. at the right moment. And so it was like, oh, like, I got through, like, I think four levels or something like that. It was yeah. just so much fun. Fun. Yeah. It was just a delight, and like, but it was very silly because like the next, the second level, you're like going through uh, standing water uh, again, yeah. like Rambo. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's funny. You do wear the diehard tank top throughout. Yeah, um, you do. And the funny thing is, like, the third level is Nakatomi Plaza. Like, you get to the skyscraper, but it's just funny that they translated like a limo ride from the airport <laughs> has now become Vietnam, <laughs> like the Vietnam At War. At one point, J-Man goes, I found a flamethrower. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Excuse well, me? Argyle had that in his limo. Um, oh, yeah, he that was in, was the, in the trunk. Yeah, he had everything, you know, CDs. Giant yeah. uh, teddy bears. Yeah, he had a giant teddy bear. The, gi the teddy bear had the flamethrower yeah. inside yes. of it. Yes. Yeah. I think we ran into a wall with this game just because we don't speak Japanese. Uh, once you get to the tower, uh, you need to enter doors in a certain order, and uh, uh, you need to kind of get out in a certain way. But it's giving us instruction in kanji, uh, which we couldn't read. So unless you want to just sort of blindly wander through the maze of the building, then um, you you wouldn't really be able to get through it. Um, and I, I think I, I reached a point where I'm just like, eh, I don't want to keep like wandering through the same level until I find my way. Or maybe it's just repeating and I can't tell. Can't like tell. all the levels do kind of look the same, right? Yeah. But, you know, there, there was some fun stuff to be had in there. Yeah. 
at one point uh i had just like laid down and jban was like do we want to record now do we want to keep going and playing and i'm like we can keep playing yeah. jban was content to keep playing yeah i was yeah. i was i was really enjoying it relaxed yeah. on the couch no it's I kind of play that game for hours it was just so much fun yeah no it's kind of a chill little game it's really enjoyable uh, yeah, you know, there were a few other Die Hard games released after this. They made a sequel, actually, to Die Hard Trilogy called Viva Las Vegas. And it's similarly <laughs> got three little stories in it, and it's the same gameplay style. But obviously, it's building off of movies that don't exist. He never goes to Vegas. Um, Wait, you're not kidding. Yeah. No, no, that's real. That's oh, real. No, oh I'm not God. kidding. No, that's, that's a real I thought game. this was a joke. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's real. That's definitely real. Um, and then there were a few others kind of like, uh, I think one's called like Battle for Nakatomi Plaza or something like that. Like they're all very either loosely adapted or just like other games that have the diehard skin thrown onto it, you know. So there are a few of them out there, uh, but this never really super caught fire as a video game franchise, even though I think there's some solid ones in here. Like mm -hmm. there's a few good ones to, to pick through. Uh, do we have any final thoughts to say about beloved Christmas holiday classic Die Hard, the movie? Uh, watch it every Christmas. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what? I, oh, I do have, uh, I don't know how many local Austin listeners we have, but Penfold Theater does a radio broadcast, uh, live reading, uh, a la a 1940s style radio broadcast. Uh, and it is the most delightful thing that I... I watched last year. I'm going to watch it again this year. It's just such a delight. They have um, uh, like five or six actors playing all the parts and they have live. Um, they had a live Foley artist instead of ha and who made all of the uh, sound effects with their mouth last year. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I, I don't know if they're not. He's going to be there this year, but it was so, so good. I'm excited. I'm going to this too this year. This this sounds really uh, up my alley. Actually. Yeah, it's I'm like really... a Prairie Home Companion style yeah. version of Die Hard, which is amazing to me. I love that. I'm sad that it's happening the day after I fly out to to go oh. to middle of nowhere uh, for Christmas. Fair but, enough. Uh, yeah, no. I Hopefully mean, they'll have it again next year. So Yeah, it seems yeah. like it's a yearly thing. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we have three more Christmas movies coming out for you this month. It's a five-Friday month. So next week we are going to be talking about the movie Elf. That's right. Oh, no. Elf is a movie. And, Wait, we haven't uh, rated. Oh, yeah. We should talk. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's rate real quick. Yeah, we'll rate real quick. Uh, so, Die Hard. Uh, where are we landing on these? A spectacular movie, practically perfect uh, classic. Uh, and then uh, for the games, the NES game, good game. Uh, PS game, bad game. And then the weird uh, Japanese game that I played. Uh, really, really fun. Great game. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm definitely going to fall on great movie again. Love it. During this podcast, I literally texted my roommates and I'm like, hey, we're going to watch Die Hard yeah. um, as a group. Uh, then uh, the games, I think mine pretty well. Uh, the the first game, uh, the, the NES game, great. The PlayStation game, I have some nostalgia with it. I think it was okay. Yeah. And at the time it was okay. It aged so bad in terms of gameplay. Um, except for the light gun sequence, which uh, is still the same as it was. Yeah. Um, I don't. Not many games do that these days. Um, and then the, uh, the the Japanese one seemed chill. Yeah. 
I'm yeah, uh, controversial take, but I think this is a pretty good movie. I think, <laughs> I think it's a pretty well-made movie, and I like it. Uh, and I'm also gonna say I think all three of these games are good. So, I had fun with all of these. Um, you know, yeah, obviously rough edges on all of them, but uh, I, I think they're all pretty fun in their own unique takes on this material. I think it's very interesting that we're gonna go from my favorite Christmas movie to my least favorite Christmas movie. I'm interested to hash this out. I'm interested to hash this out. Well, I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. But yeah, maybe, I never liked it. Maybe so. it'll grow on you. Maybe it'll grow on you. If, if uh, people at home are watching along with us, um, I don't know if you're going to be able to find this movie unless you have any streaming service, any cable channel, uh, <laughs> any outdoor surface, any movie theater, or uh, tattoos in the back of your eyelids. Uh, right now might be the most accessible movie of all time, right? Like. <laughs> It's, I do think it's all over the place. It's entered into that realm. Like I don't know if TNT is doing 24-hour uh, elf marathons like they do with Christmas Story, but it's probably on its way, right? <laughs> I'm sure that'll I, happen. I'm pretty sure that is where we typically would watch it was coming on TNT. Yeah. Um, but it's my sister's favorite. So okay. We'll get into more details. We will get into we, it. As we all get right. there. There's a little sneak peek. Yeah, a little more Christmas spirit coming your way, guys. So get ready uh, with your spaghetti and your syrup, and we will see you next week for some elf now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. ho, ho. ho.